Yeah, I'm excited to not have to talk about Luke today, because I've been doing that for a lot of weeks. Uh, this, I want to give you a kind of a, a framework of where we're going to go the next four, I, four or five weeks. Um, I am a horrible expert. <laughs> That's a weird way to say it. I'm not an expert at all on prayer. Uh, at all. Like, it's not even a, it's, of the 10 strengths I have, it's 11 as far as prayer goes. So it's a, it feels a little maybe hypocritical in the first step for me to begin to teach from a prayer perspective and say, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about prayer for the next four or five weeks. Um, but this last week we had Leah, which I'm using names and stuff, it doesn't matter. Leah came in and was doing something here and I came and just one thing she said to me, uh, which was interesting, which is true and good insight on her. She said, you're teaching and preaching the things that you're working through yourself. And that is true. That's 100% true. And I appreciated that. So thank you for saying that to me and having the courage to say that to me. Uh, I, it, it was helpful because when you, look at, when you look at what you're going to teach people, um, you, you, there's a tension for the pastor to be the expert. To be, um, as another one of our fund members, Cody Weeby said, the sage on the stage. There's this desire to be the sage up here that says, I have all the knowledge, I have all the information, I have all the the access, and let me just give it to you in this nice little 28-minute, well, for me it's 34 and 13 seconds, minute uh, bundle that you can take and take home and open up and eat. And, And the truth is, prayer is not like that at all. Prayer's dirty and ugly and messy and confusing and hard and, and not as fulfilling as we want it to be. And it's, we all know it's something we should do. It's like cardio, right? You all know that you're supposed to go walk a little bit. But do you really want to? Because these Doritos really taste good and this TV show is fantastic. And what's next on Netflix, right? That's, that's the typical kind of us space because and we know that these things are good for us but it's it's hard to jump into them so i'm speaking from a place of vulnerability and that um, because i'm weak at it i'm weak at at just having the sustained beautiful uh picturesque prayer life that i'm then able to speak from authority from from this particular perspective so there will be a teaching outline here shortly um but I want to reframe the way that we're going to talk about prayer a little bit and how we're going to approach it. I'm not going to invent any sort of goofy things um, or new, pro- new ways of, of praying, maybe a little bit. but not, It's not going to be anything that's going to blow your mind. But I want to give you permission because I'm giving myself permission to be flexible, to be gracious to yourselves when it comes to prayer. When you think about prayer for your personal lives, it's usually you, you land with, I'm not doing that well enough, or I wish I did it better. And I, 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 hear me, I want to give you permission to give yourself grace and, 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 and just give yourself space to breathe and learn how to pray. We're going to explore this together over the next four or five weeks. Uh, I have some ideas and some content I'm going to give you that's outside of the Sunday morning uh, space, the Sunday morning teaching time, that I, I, I'm excited about from a personal level because it's impacting me. Things about Sabbath and things about rest and things about, about worship that all incorporate prayer. 
See, in many churches, and all of our churches really, prayer and Bible study are held up as the activities. They're held up as the activities that will make us spiritually rich. But very few of us are really happy with those in our own lives, and some, most of the times we don't succeed in that area. And like they become cardio where it's troublesome, and I just got to go through the motions and do it. I think that happens because Bible study and prayer and the disciplines are done in isolation. They're done as one event or a one-off or a thing that you just do because you know you're supposed to do. The truth is prayer almost always involves other disciplines. And if it does involve other disciplines, that means prayer begins to take flight and and go well. So that's what we're going to approach this next few weeks. But first, we're going to spend today reframing, I think, what prayer is. Robert Mulholland, a guy who I like to read, says this. He says, we tend to think of prayer as something we do in order to produce results we believe in or are needed, rather to get or to get God to produce results. As a result, our prayer tends to be a shopping list or things to be accomplished or an attempt to manipulate the symptoms of our lives without really entering into, and here's the key, deep, vital, transforming relationship with God. So our series title is Pray, Craving Something More. Craving something more is a key component of, of what I'm going to, I'm going to be saying that phrase, and I wrote some stuff this last week and, and put it out there for you guys to consume. I, we're going to say craving something more often. It's going to become a slogan. Because I do believe that we don't just land ever. When you go to be with the Lord and you're dead, you can land. But until that day, we don't land. We continue to move forward, and we continue to desire and crave more of the Lord. John 3.30 says, he must increase and I must decrease. There needs to be more of him in me and less of me in me. And I know that there's, all of us are still working on that percentage, right? That there is 90% maybe still of me and 10% still of the Lord. But you understand the concept there, that the Lord needs to increase in your life and you must decrease. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh, I, that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then let's turn, before we get into the text for this morning, let's turn to my favorite passage right now. It'll change next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I might have read this multiple times in this room, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 18 says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror of the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. When we take the veil off and we approach the throne of grace and we come face to face with Jesus Christ, he's transforming us from glory to glory into his image. More of him becomes us. So that, and this is where we're going to get into the framing, that is where the desire of craving something more needs to take place. That as I'm changing day after day, not for the world's sake, but because Jesus is becoming more of my life, 
I want something more. There is something more. There's something more for me personally. There's something more for my family. There's something more for my kids. There's something more that I long for. I long for something deeper. And in the Christian Missionary Alliance, we use a fun phrase called the deeper life. That's our denomination. The deeper life. A.B. Simpson wrote about it. A.W. Tozer wrote about it. The deeper life in Christ, meaning that there is more. Well, that's a confusing phrase if you haven't grown up in the Alliance. When you just tell somebody, I'm craving the deeper life, they're like, what? Or if you tell them you go to Casper Alliance Church, they're like, what? And all of a sudden you have these weird conversations like, no, I'm not part of a cult. I'm not part of this weird organization. No, the deeper life is just you craving more. And so sometimes as Christians, we put these languages on, on the things that we mean, and they become other meaning, and it's harder for us to explain. So I'm wanting to simplify it for us. Do you want more? Do you want more of God? Do you want more of the Spirit in your life? Do you want more of the fruit that he promises? This will be part of our DNA as a church. If we're complacent, we fail to experience his presence and power more personally in our families, in our lives, in our church, we need to crave something more. So let's get to kind of the meat of what we're going to talk about today. Reframing the process. So the, the, the title of this message is Submit to the Process. Prayer, craving something more, submit to the process. I want to reframe it, okay? So I have this, I found this picture in our church. I'm going to put it up here for you. Will you make those clips work right? You, yeah, you're my Vanna today. Thank you. Can everybody see that from over there? Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be critical of this. I do think that this is normal. This is our, de- our denomination put this out. It's a picture of a guy praying. But this is when we think of prayer, this is what we think of. We think of... and. I, Head bowed, hands folded, parents continue to teach your kids that. But, so th- to be sure, this is a way, this is a prayer position. But this is hard to get to sometimes for us. It's hard to get to because we've made ourselves really busy in life, truthfully. We've made ourselves crazy busy, but this is difficult. And so in our heads, we make this the picture. It's like looking through a magazine and seeing fit people or beautiful people and going, I can't, how do I get there? And so I think this, this actually becomes a hindrance to us because this is what prayer is supposed to be. And if you're not doing this, then you're not praying. And we make that ugly connection. Hear me, kids. When they say bow your heads, fold your hands, this is what it's supposed to look like. We're training you to learn something, but we want you to understand something bigger. There's something larger. And I want to reframe this picture for us. In order for us to drill down deeper, to experience a more rigorous prayer life, to have a deeper prayer experience, it has to look a little bit different. I think we have to start at this foundational piece that arrives here. And like I said, I'm going to say it again. To be sure, this is prayer. This is what prayer can look like. But we have to be a little bit uh, heavy on the foundation to begin to launch. Okay? So let's turn. turn, Here's our text for the... We have three big passages we're going to look at. Acts 17. Turn with me to Acts 17. Starting with verse 16. So now would be the time. If you wanted to pull out your bulletin insert, we have it, and it's available for you. There are three. Actually, I didn't even say your first line for you, did I? To experience something more when we pray, 
the process needs to be reframed. To experience something more when we pray, the process needs to be reframed. Verse 16 of chapter 17 of Acts reads this. This is a great story. Now, why Paul... I don't even know why. Seriously, I take my glasses off every week because I can't read what it says. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of the strange deities because of he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they look and they took to him and brought him to the Areopagus, which I can't say very well. I've tried it a hundred times. It just doesn't come out of my mouth right. Saying, may we know what the new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So, what did Paul do? Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and of earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since in himself gives since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries and their habitation. That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, through he, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we, have, he has, we lived and moved and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think of the divine nature as like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, and some began to sneer, and others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him, believing among whom, and he gives a list of names. That's a long story. A lot of scripture. We have two more stories and two more things to work through. But what I want to point out here is, is Paul begins to attack this normal religious activity. And he says this phrase, if you seek God. So if we're going to reframe the way that we pray, and we're going to build a foundation or a framework around prayer, one of the key components has to be seeking. 
We have to be seeking God. Paul addresses it. He says, you have these idols to an unknown God. You have things in your house of worship that you don't even know why you're worshiping them. You're just putting them there because you're hoping, hoping that something happens because of them. How often do we pray in a way where we just kind of hope that something happens? We actually put that laundry list or that shopping list to God and say, I hope that you do this. Or let me, let me tweak some people. If it's in your will, please do this. Is that really seeking? In my mind, what that's doing is it's creating this kind of unknown outcome that we're like going, I hope something happens. And Paul attacks it. He gets right into it and he says this, if you just grope for God, if you just seek after him, if you just feel your way towards him, he'll show up. He'll show up, and he's preaching to salvation. He's preaching to men who are far from God. But the same truth applies as a framework for how we enter into prayer and craving something more. If we just seek and claw and grope towards God, he will show up. Seeking is clearly a churchy word. We like to use that word seek. Seek first the what? Yeah. It's a... It's a Bible word. That's why I like how Paul says, if you just grope, if you just grope, if you're like, it's like this struggle that happens. Now put in your mind, go into your mind's eye and under and like just examine your prayer life. Examine how it looks, how it feels. Now apply the activity of groping or clawing or pulling yourself towards God, saying, I'm coming for you because I believe you're there. And that's what, that's what we're trying to get here. That's how a framework of prayer needs to be re-looked at. If we just grope, and what's that called? That's called work. It takes work to do this. It's hard. It's an effort. It's a challenge. And, and we, it's so easy for us to take the path of least resistance. True seeking of God becomes and feels like a chore sometimes because we just don't get to the finish line. And we become satisfied with our idols to the unknown God. And we're just happy with the resurrection life instead of the deeper life. They're not separate from each other. The resurrection life propels us into a deeper life. So how do we not make the groping or the seeking become a chore? How does that happen? How in the framework of prayer, if we're reshaping and creating a foundation for this picture to exist, how does groping or seeking not become our own activity and our own work? Look at verse 24 of Acts 17 again. Paul lays it right out there for us. The God who made the world and all things in it since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not, what, dwell in temples made with human hands. The Lord of heaven and earth doesn't dwell in temples made with human hands. This morning I started a practice, and I've, I've done it before, but I, and every time I pray to somebody, if you've heard me pray today already, you, I've, I've invited the Spirit of God into this place. This is a temple made with human hands. Now use your scripture Rolodex Bible scholars, what's the temple? What does 1 Corinthians 3.16 says? It says what? You are the temple, right? So when the people gather, those who are redeemed, those who know Jesus, those who walk with Jesus, they are temples. They are a living temple. Now here's the, here's the next point. Tabernacle. Write it down. 
tabernacle. In Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9, we get a picture from God talking to the Israelites saying, I want you to build me a tabernacle so I can dwell with you, so I can have a relationship with you, so I can be with you and speak to you. If you're a temple, you are a tabernacle. If you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you're a tabernacle. The Spirit of God is in you. We've reframed, trying hard, seeking the Lord. The way in which we seek the Lord is we allow him to live within us as a tabernacle. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Now I'm going to do something different for a second. We're going to read Ephesians 3. But just to kind of break the monotony of my voice, I understand it's just me going blah, 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 and we're going through a lot of scripture, and we're going to, we have a little bit more to do. I want to do something different. We don't do this very often, and I don't know if anybody in this room is going to have courage to do it. But we're going to destroy this picture right here. Um, and you're not going to offend me if you get up and do this while I'm talking. This is it's a lot of... T- it's, have you ever been to a worship service where they had somebody that like, has, like, ribbons and they're dancing around on stage and, like, they're, like, you know, and, like, music's going? Think of this as the ribbon thing, right? So this is an act of worship. So here's what's going to happen. I'm talking. I'm talking to you. And people who are, who are regenerate, who love Jesus and are following Jesus, those people, those people, you're already filling in your own blanks, right? You're not waiting for me to give you information because the Spirit of God is actively talking to you now. I'm teaching you things or saying things that are on my heart, but God is actually already talking to you. You've heard it. You've listened to it. It's happened in this room. I know that it has. You've been sitting in the chair looking at me and maybe drifting a little bit, but God's speaking to you. And we believe that God speaks to you. And there's words that are coming to your mind. There's thoughts that are coming to your mind. There's things that are happening right now in your brain where you're going, yeah, I think that about prayer. Or I think this about prayer. Or, you know what, he said seeking, and he's talking about getting ready to talk about a tabernacle. But there's these other words that are coming to my head that make me think about prayer. What I want you to do now is as any time that comes to your brain, right now for the next, what time is it? I got seven minutes to be done, and I got 45 minutes more preaching. Anytime a word comes to your brain or something comes to your mind, I want you to come up here, and it's going to be kind of hard. It's a little shaky. Maybe Vanna could come up and hold it when that happens. You could just, like, follow somebody and be like, I'm going to hold this for you as you write. But I want to give you permission to just come up and do it. You're not going to interrupt me, and I'm not going to pause to acknowledge you. Just come and do it. It's an act of worship saying, God is telling me something right now, and I'm going to respond to it. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that. What happens when God speaks to you, and you need to take a step, and we're going to call it the nudge. When God gives you a nudge to say, I need to do this particular thing. That is an activity of prayer, whether you want to admit it or not right now, because prayer is responding and having a vital relationship with the Lord. It's having a deep connection with God. And as we get to the end of this message, and I'm going to give you your last blank right now, it's going to, you're going to understand that prayer has more to do with the presence of God and living within the presence of God than it does bowing your head and folding your hands. That's just for adults. That living and standing in the presence of the Lord is really what prayer is all about. That's a relational connection between you and the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now here's, so there is a black sharpie that you can write all the way up here. And then there's some, a silver one up here too, a couple of them, that you can write on the dark parts. And please, if, 
if nobody does this, I'm going to smash this over somebody's head when we're done. <laughs> and it's going to be one of your children. So, but truthfully, I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you permission to please, as words come, this is an act of worship to come up and say, this is a something. And you're not losing. You're not losing what I'm saying by having your own words. That's how God works. God doesn't just speak through me right now. now if you're coming from this side, don't hit me when you come behind me. Just walk in front of me. We have no cameras, so we're fine. Tabernacle. You're free to go up. Here we go. Ephesians 3. So God says, I'm going to build a temple. I'm going to build a tabernacle. I'm going to dwell amongst my people. He puts that into stage in Exodus chapter 25 and says, this is how I'm going to operate or think or like speak to you. I'm going to tabernacle amongst you. Let me get a little bit ahead before I go into Ephesians. Uh, Jesus in John 1 talks about that phrase they've used, the scholars have used as tabernacling amongst his people. Jesus comes as a baby and makes his presence with the people. The God-man comes and tabernacles amongst humanity. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse starting with verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul speaking. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And, and he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell. He may tabernacle. That's the Greek there. He may tabernacle in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, or some versions say imagine, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus of all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, so, Paul is talking about Jesus tabernacling. He's dwelling in your heart. He has to build a home in your heart. Build a home in your heart. And what that does is when Jesus lives and he's in your heart, he begins to dig roots down deep. He actually begins to add the framework to the relationship. He begins to develop this deep connection with you so that you are locked into his space. So you know a huge, massive tree that has this intense root system, right? It's hard to knock that tree down. That's what he's doing when he tabernacles with you. He's developing a deep, connected relationship with you. Christ will need to dwell in you. He will have to make a tabernacle. He will have to build a foundation that's deep with roots. And when he makes a home in your heart, that's where the conversation actually begins. Many times we come to this prayer place, we bow our heads, we fold our hands, and we begin to talk, but really what's happening is our roots are really light. So when that wind of stress or that wind of pressure or that wind of illness or that wind of I got $12 in my bank account comes, we get knocked over and the frame goes away. And so dwelling, the dwelling of the Spirit of God, the dwelling of Jesus Christ in your heart is critical to establish a deep prayer life. And it wants you to want more within prayer. Many times we think, how do I get more spiritual? Or how do I access the power of God? Or how do I get this power that defines our lives or, or that we believe in into my church or ministry? 
Where is the power that helps me defeat evil? We ask these questions. How do we receive this power that Luke talks about in Acts? You'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes out. You'll have power. Well, I believe the, the tendency is to move away from what we've actually been taught. We work in our own strength. We try to create our own roots. We try to create our own comforts. We try to create our own um, desired outcomes, our own processes. And that's why I'm saying submit to the process. Praying really does default to our own strength, our own endurance, our own energy. And we know we're tired. How many of you prayed yourself to sleep at night? I like that. I think it's okay. But how many of us wait to pray until we pray ourselves to sleep every day? So as I'm asking us to reframe how we think about prayer, to crave something more, this dwelling creates a framework in which we have strength and power that's sustained because it's from the indwelling of Christ in our lives. And then, then we have this amazing thing that happens where at the end of this section, Paul says, God will do more than you can ask or imagine. When Jesus is dwelling in you and you're connected to him and his root system is growing you deeper, he will do more than you can ask or imagine. That is craving more than we can ask or imagine. There's something more. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you prepared your heart and your home for Jesus to tabernacle in? Can he dwell within you? This next week, I will produce some content for you to help kind of outline that a little bit. I don't, there's a lot of different ways. Confession of sin, the Sabbath, getting rest. I mean, how busy are we to where we just, I mean, just taking a day, delighting in the Lord, doing things that God designed you to do because you love to do those particular things. For little kids, they can delight in the Lord just by building Legos. For some of you, delighting in the Lord is going and killing antelopes. We learned a while ago that that's okay. But God, God gives us those delights so that we can grow deeper with him. It's not so we can be selfish or feel guilty. It's so we can grow deeper with him. So the dialogue from this way, the vertical dialogue, is fluid. And it goes regularly because we're so interconnected with one another because Jesus is tabernacled amongst us. All right, finally, here's where we're going to land. His presence. Turn into Hebrews chapter 10. God's persistence, pre- persistent presence among his people in the Old Testament paved the way for his supreme appearance in the New Testament through Jesus. Christ descended human flesh, became a baby, lived amongst us, tabernacled us, yet Jesus returned to the Father, and we became God's new temple of flesh inhabited by God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. As temples of the Holy Spirit, we have a great responsibility to keep our bodies holy and worthy. You ever thought about that? You have the ability to push out the presence of God based on your, the way in which you live? Richard Rohr says this, Prayer is not primarily saying words or thinking thoughts. It is rather a stance. It's a way of living in his presence. 
The ancient Jews believed that prayer began with an intentional awareness of God's presence. To know before whom you are standing. The inward posture of the heart preceded all outward prayers. There's an example of that in Psalm 51. I'm going to encourage you to write down Psalm 51 in your bulletin if you take notes. Look at it this week. This is a great example of, of, of the ancient Jew writing in a way that, that pointed out the posture and understanding God before you, underst- before you begin to ex- communicate what you need. Who God is and understanding his presence and understanding his power and understanding his authority. Now I'll give you something of me. Hebrews 10, picking up at verse 19, says this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which we inaugurated for us through the veil, remember the, the word I said before, the veil that was removed, and as we approach the Lord, from 2 Corinthians 3.18, through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. We get to enter the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, and we can do a study on that, is where God's presence resided. Exodus 25, build me a temple, I will dwell there, I will speak to you in the tent of meeting, I will be there, I will speak to you. When Jesus comes, Jesus dies, Jesus raises again, the veil is torn. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the veil is removed, we have access to the throne, we have access to the Holy of Holies, we have access to the presence of God, because now he resides in the life of the believer. So the framework is we have to seek. We have to seek. This thing gets strong. This thing gets strong with his roots growing deep in us because he's dwelling within us. So the frame grows in strength and it can't be broken. And then the picture that you get is the presence of God because he is living and active in your life and you can approach him. God, send Je- God sends Jesus to restore the relationship that was lost at Eden. Adam and Eve walked with God. They were in His presence every day, every night. They walked with Him. Man broke that. We wanted to make our own way, become our own God, do our own thing. We felt like we could do it on our own because, because we just didn't need His full presence and we could just use Him as a shopping list. Do you not see how Adam and Eve actually set the stage for us? They just used Him the way in which they wanted to use Him. They didn't want full access to His presence. They just you know what, God, you could give us this or you could give us that. You know, I'd like a new pair of shoes. You know, I'd like some different fruit. Why don't you give me a mango? Because that feels like something that takes me some work to open and eat. That's the relationship they had with God. And eventually that falls because you just want your own thing. Equate that to your own prayer life. We do the same thing. But what, what I want us to do as we begin to really unpack prayer over the next few weeks is say, no, what really needs to happen is I need to have this relationship that God established at Eden with me. I need his presence with me now. He needs to walk with me and talk with me. And I need to usher, he needs to usher me around. And we're just, we're, he's my pal, not my boyfriend. I can't believe you said that. 
but he's my pal, and we're together, and I'm dependent on him. I'm desperate for him. I want him in every part of my life. Why? Because he has built such deep roots in me that I can't get away from him. This tree isn't going anywhere. And then the picture of his presence unpacks right here, and you get to see what it is, and you get to enjoy it. Christ's work opens up access to God and offers us great promises that we get to dwell with him forever. We were once enemies to God, but now our hearts are sprinkled clean. And we can boldly approach God with full assurance of faith. The presence of God is the only way, the presence of God is the only way to receive God's promises. We only get access to the kingdom through his presence. You hear me? The only way to experience the promises of God is by his presence. If he is absent from the equation, so are the promises. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the way we pray. All I'm trying to do is fire us back into this framework in which the presence is more important than the prayer. I said that right. The presence is more important than the prayer. The prayer is your words. His presence, I promise, will fuel your words if he's there. And that's the desire. That's where we need to live. That's the place. So all of these words and things that you have put up here, they develop this language that comes out when his presence is there. They develop this activity that comes out when his presence is there. You cannot do these things without his presence. If you do, it's in your own strength. And the only person you're praying to is yourself. His presence is critical to any prayer. It is vital. It is the only thing. It's all that it is. Without his presence, you're lost. John 14, 6 says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The only way to access God is through Jesus and his presence. The indwelling. Seek. Grope for him. Seek. Let him tabernacle. And we're going to work on that and talk about that. I'm going to pray and I'm going to close this because I've talked a long time.